everyone, my name is Dustin Elliott and welcome back to another episode of the Better Questions Better Life podcast, formerly known as the Y2 podcast. Each week I try and answer a simple but important question, how can we ask better questions to live better lives? To do that, I bring you dedicated episodes where I break this question down into bite-sized, thought-provoking and tactical episodes really focused on helping you ask better questions, pulled from industry experts, science, philosophy, as well as my own observations and learnings. I also find and interview a range of industry-leading professionals who all depend on asking good questions in order to achieve their work. So from police detectives, journalists, scientists, medical professionals, qualitative researchers, data scientists, and many more to glean the lessons and techniques they use to successfully do their job and help us ask better questions. As always, I want to take a quick minute and thank the Better Questions, Better Life podcast sponsor, YZ. YZ is an easy-to-use online training software that makes it so simple to create and deliver online learning. The YZ platform is very flexible and you can use it to automate a whole range of tasks in your business from managing all of your employee training, training customers and partners in your products, tracking licenses and qualifications of your staff, creating and selling online courses, capturing more leads with free online courses and so much more. So if any of that sounds even remotely interesting, then I really suggest you jump over to their website at yz.com, that's w-y-z-e-d.com, to check out some videos and even get started with your own 14-day free trial. Remember, if you like these episodes and you want to hear more and you haven't done already, make sure you hit that subscribe button to the Better Questions, Better Life podcast, wherever you find your podcast. The button ain't going to hit itself, so make sure you do that if you like it. And as you hear on every other podcast out there, we love if you can leave us a five-star review if you haven't already. Of course, you can jump over to the website at betterquestionsbetterlife.co where you can find links, resources, soon to be a blog, putting together some really cool projects as well at the moment uh, to help you ask better questions outside of the podcast and all that other good stuff. So make sure you check it out and stay tuned. Of course, you can always join in on the conversation on our Facebook page, Instagram, and the other social media handles. And you're going to find us at Better Questions Better Life. Uh, you can also follow along on social media media and because uh, if that if that uh, name's a little too long then we're going to try and dominate the hashtag bqbl so hopefully we're going to blow that up with lots of really cool conversations and uh, again if you want to find us that would probably be the easiest way but with that being said though let's get right into it ainsley welcome to the y2 podcast Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Look, likewise. Um, I, I remember when I, I first met you and uh, you were talking a bit about what you did. And obviously, we'll talk more about that in, in a moment. But I remember it, it was one of those moments in my life where having been ex-recruitment, I, I like to think that I kind of know what people do. But I remember when I was chatting with you, I just went, oh, this sounds so exciting, but I have no idea what you do. <laughs> so um, obviously, I know we've had a few chats, but I'm really excited today to sort of drill down a little bit and to really explore, uh, obviously, the topic of asking questions. So again, thank you so much for your time today. No, welcome. And look, you're not alone. I think my my family haven't known for the last 20 years what I actually do. So it's, um, it's you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah, fair enough. It's got to make family dinners pretty interesting, eh? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Awesome. 
Well, look, on that being said, though, I, I do, like I said, I do want to start there. Um, uh, now, you you kind of have two hats in today's conversation, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But I suppose just to start off with, I'd love if you can tell us a bit about uh, what a qualitative researcher uh, does and a bit about your career as a qualitative researcher. Sure. I'll, I'll tell you what it is, and then I'll tell you a bit about me. So an aptly named podcast, because basically we're all about understanding the why. So essentially it's what motivates people, what influences them, what drives people to do what they do. Um, so often we're dealing with emotions, we're dealing with subconscious behaviors um, or prejudices. Um, and as a commercial researcher, so I'm not, I'm not clinical, but there's, a, there's always a commercial imperative to the questions or the why that I ask. Um, it's really for companies to better understand their customers, what makes them tick or their potential customers. So, you know, there's realms and realms now as more business are, businesses are aligned, lots of data about when people do things, how many they do, it, how, how often they do it, how many times they do it, where they do it. Uh, and they're all really important, but the missing piece of that puzzle is why they do it. And that's mm. where qualitative research comes in. It fills in that last gap and that kind of brings you that, you know, holistic uh, picture of a person. Um, from my background, uh, so this is a funny story. Uh, <laughs> qualitative researchers typically need a lot of empathy. So it's a reasonably female-dominated industry. Um, however, the spelling of my first name is actually the male spelling of my name. So um, straight out of university, I loved all the you know behavioural development, the psychology that I did there, as well as the marketing subjects that I did. So unbeknownst to me, I was on the right track to kind of work <laughs> in this space. So when I applied for my first job in this, uh, this field, um, the company were looking to, you know, do, do something for the, the industry and, and hire a male graduate. Um, so of course I got shortlisted. I was the only female of the three that they spoke to. Um, and lo and behold, I got it. So that started my career. Really. And, you know, like to this day, even now I wear a, a co-founder as well as qualitative researcher hat i don't think i could have found a profession or a job that suits me so innately um i'm i was born curious i was one of those kids that stared a lot at my surroundings and what was going on so i think i've just kind of turned that into a, a i suppose a commercial benefit if you like mm -hmm. i remember when i first reached out to you about it your your reaction was enthusiastic but something to the effect of that you, that you mentioned that you were always that kid that asked way too many questions in class kind of things so um yeah well, i wanted to know why why things worked why why is that the case so why has been a strong <laughs> word in my in my history and so i suppose i've worked here i've worked in the uk i've worked um in projects that run through europe and now in the us through quali so um, I've asked a lot of wine, a lot of countries. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now you did mention, and we will come back to a little bit at the moment, but you've sort of taken on a bit of a new hat, uh, in terms of the, the qualitative research, just really quickly. Can you just tell us, uh, what quality is just for a bit of context? Yeah. So I'd, I'd say, you'd, I'd say it's an insight platform. Um, and we've sort of really taken the qualitative methodology and reinvented it for, um, the future fixed up some of the problems with it. So we're, we're a video based platform and actually we Facilitate participants in our projects to arrive at their consensus of why and why they think about things. So 
uh, we've kind of put some automation and some efficiencies into how qualitative research is done. Yeah, fantastic. I, I do want to have you on the on the full Y2 podcast because I remember <laughs> I remember we we did chat briefly about that as my sort of inquisitive Y2 podcast brain is always on. And it's a really interesting story, but, but we'll come back to quality uh, a little bit later on today. Oh. But one of the first areas I do want to talk about and, and we spoke about prior to today was as as a part of the the qualitative reach qualitative research process you're sitting down with with a variety of individuals you mentioned corporate but you spoke about before that some of the more challenging um, aspects that you've gone through in your career was when you spent a stint um, interviewing a variety of patients such as hep C, meth users, terminally ill cancer patients, and people who are obviously um, not your typical, you're not obviously asking them about which brand they prefer kind of thing. You're dealing with people in a real uh, challenging state of emotion. Mm -hmm. I suppose to start off with, when you're working in these types of situations, what are some of the most important things that you focused on um, yourself uh, as a part of the process to make sure you can, you know, ascertain what you need to, while dealing with these really challenging situations? Yeah, look, I, I suppose building rapport, look, they are challenging and also the other end of the spectrum is five-year-olds. Uh, <laughs> but in any case... Building rapport and trust is really important, and particularly with the, the patients who, um, particularly those who are drug users, tend to be quite anxious people. So, you know, spending an hour with them, I might spend 25 minutes building rapport and building comfort with them, whereas, you know, a straight-up conversation about, you know, a TV campaign, it might take me five or ten minutes. So it's really about, and also because of, it, because like you said, we're not talking to them about a brand necessarily, but perhaps, you know, how they, why they're not seeking treatment or how they acquired what they've got and the journey they've been on so far. So some of those, um, they could be feeling guilt or shame or, or just grief. They could be kind of going through a grieving process if their diagnosis was recent. So it's about really treading softly. Um, and I take a lot of, um, I take a lot of cues from the space that I'm in, but also their body language. So if I'm going to a, um, a terminally ill person's home, you know, often you'll be looking at cues, do they have a pet? Is there a pet bowl out? <laughs> Is there pictures of pets? <laughs> Kids, um, you know, what's it, you know, maybe there's sort of, um, they, they follow a team sport or something. So you're looking for things where you can start to build a really, um, comfortable non um non-invasive bridge to them essentially because you want to make them feel at ease um you want to make them feel like you're interested in them but not for any other reason other that other than they are fascinating and their mm. story is their story and it's to be respected but, but ultimately to be understood by me mm. um, so i suppose i'm looking at yeah, so building rapport is the most is, is the most important thing, really, um, and also being sensitive to where there are no go areas. So you can mm -hmm. see that immediately with their body language; they'll look away or shut down. So even where I sit with them, I might I might not sit opposite them. That can be kind of more confrontational. I might sit mm -hmm. beside them on the couch. Um, so they're all subtle, soft skills, I suppose. It beyond what you're trying to get through in terms of questions and asking yeah. them, there's a whole lot of other things happening. It's sort of like, you know, it's like the iceberg. Probably mm -hmm. what you're saying is just a bit above the water and there's all that other kind of work that you're processing simultaneously going underneath, like looking around the room, looking at their body language, what your body language is like. 
I suppose once they're at ease, then you can start to kind of mirror their energy. And if you want to get the best or the most out of them, I try and raise it a little bit to keep mm-hmm. them kind of engaged in, in the process. So, but you've got to sort of see where they're up to and where they're at first and get in first and build rapport before you can start to get the most out of them. Mm. How would you go about raising the energy um, or, or mirroring that particular um uh, yeah, mirroring, uh, sorry, how would you go about rather raising the energy? What sort of things would you do or say or try to act in order to, to do that? I become more animated. So I talk <laughs> a lot with my hands. As yeah. um, and so I become more animated. Um, I kind of sit up and lean in. So it's more around kind of my, my tone, um, mm. my body language, the, the volume of my um, uh, my conversation, I suppose, all kind of goes up. So we just kind of, I raise my energy mm-hmm. uh, and often that will then be reflected back. You know, in, in other instances, I might be doing more commercial work and I might be doing the second session of a night in my old, my old world. You know, you start a session, people have worked all day at their job, they come and do a focus group, starts at 8.30 and they're buggered, you know. Yeah. I'm tired too. <laughs> if I carry that into the, into the session, then they're just going to reflect that back to me. So if I carry in some energy, some appreciation of it being a long day, hey, we're all in this together. But if I lift myself, they will lift with me. Because funnily enough, ultimately people sort of want to please you a little Mm -hmm. bit. They kind of want to do the right thing for you. They're there to help you. And so they will respond to your energy. Yeah. Uh, two kind of questions from that, but, but on that one there, you, you know, we talk about this, that they want to please you kind of thing, but it's a challenge because you're sort of trying to reach sort of some objective truth, right? Independent of yourself as a researcher. So how do you go about trying to, trying to sort of steer them maybe towards what they actually think or feel and a little bit less away from that sort of pleasing aspect that I think a lot of people just innately have. We want to make friends, right? How do you yeah. go about that process? Yeah, we have our ways. So we call it a couple of ways. Um, we, we, have, we have these things called projective techniques or enabling techniques where essentially we're asking people to, you know, think about an issue or a brand or something that's, uh, that's um, the topic of discussion mm-hmm. and almost project, we get them to project their attitudes and their, their perceptions of that thing onto a third party or onto a third object. Um, And so what that does often is reveal things that they wouldn't even know was there Mm. subconscious or reveals things that, you know, when they're gifts giving you lip service and saying how much they love X, Y, and Z, and then you kind of do one of these um, techniques, Mm -hmm. actually what's uncovered is not quite, what not quite right. So I think the example that we talked to uh, about last time was, uh, doing some work with GPs and companies are always trying to understand how are they persuaded? Like what persuades them in terms of writing that prescription over that? Mm. Uh, and so we took, I took this group of GPs on this wild guided visualization where I had them thinking about they were explorers in a jungle and they were at the, the end of the kind of the, the treasure, if you like, was this prescription of this kind of product, but they had trials and tribulations to get there. They had, things in the jungle that made things easier. Mm-hmm. They had things in the jungle that made things more difficult for them to get to this kind of treasure. 
Um, and as I, so I get people to shut their eyes and I close my eyes too. And I walk them through this scenario and, it, and I don't tell them what they imagine. I ask them, you know, what's helping you on your journey? What's, what's in your way? What's, uh, encouraging you to kind of keep going. And is it like a story that you're kind of walking them through? Yeah, so I like, so like this, what happens next kind of thing. Exactly. So, you know, yeah. Think about what's in front of you. Okay. Now we've turned the corner. Now, what do you see? So you sort of give them a bit of guidance, mm -hmm. but you don't tell them what they're seeing. Uh, until finally you're getting to the treasure. Now, what is the last hurdle that's in front of you? And so, so anyway, open your eyes, tell me what you saw. Mm -hmm. And um, these GPs repeated to me that it, at the last hurdle, there was this temptress in the forest <laughs> in a red dress <laughs> with blonde hair. And um, turns out that was the sales rep. So uh, of, the, of, the, of the competitive brand, though, that was kind of this temptress trying to lead them away from describing mm. this one brand over her brand. So I don't think any line of direct questioning, I mean, that came out, it was a bit of a joke, right? But if I had said to them, what do you think of the other sales yeah. rep? Are they influencing you? Is she a bit of, a bit of hot stuff? And that's why you're a bit reluctant to not prescribe, you know, the one that you really want to. So. Mm -hmm. That would never have come out with a direct line of question, but it's a fun way to kind of see what's going on in people's heads. Um, and it's a non-threatening way. It's a bit of fun, but it's often very quite revealing. Mm. Um, one of the other things which we, which we do is, is a laddering technique. So often people are driven, we call it their highest emotional need. Um, and often people are driven, you know, they don't go to the gym just because, you know, they want to get fit for summer. Mm. There's something else going on under there. And, a classic but very lazy technique which I was always taught to avoid was the five whys. Yes. Ask someone, what is it about starting at the gym in winter? Oh, I want to I want to look good for summer. Now typically someone would say why, then they'd be forced to respond. Why, 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 why? Until you do it five times. And that's supposed to get you to the highest order need or the highest emotional need. Um, the problem with that is people when you ask someone why, people latch for the first thing that hits their mind. And it might not be something emotional. It could be something very rational or functional, but it's the first thing that's popped into their mind. But then you ask them again. And so they've got to clutch at the next thing and again. And so they're actually just clutching at things in their mind rather than actually providing some space for them to reflect a bit, self-reflect and actually explore what it is that's driving them to, to start at the gym. So for instance, it might be, you know, why do you start to the gym in winter? I want to have a great, great body in summer. Okay. What's important about having a great body in summer? So just that subtle difference. Mm -hmm. What's important about that? Oh, I suppose, you know, it's nice to look good, you know, when I'm out and about in less clothing. Okay. What's important about that? I don't know. You might get to a point where this person is single, <laughs> desperately relationships. <laughs> so they're not going to get, you're kind of inviting them to explore their own, kind of emotional journey, if you like, yeah. rather than saying, why? Oh, because my doctor told me I needed to. Why? Oh, because it's good for you. But why? Oh, because that's what you read in newspapers. So you can get end up in a very different spot depending on how you uh, probe people, if you yeah. like. I, I, I love that idea. And I know, uh, to me, the five whys was always something, it was always a really pivotal thing, having sort of had of sort of been baptized in the self-improvement world and all the all that sort of stuff. It was really interesting. And I love that idea. Because one thing that I've, I really believed is that a lot of the times we don't always necessarily know or do we always don't want to sort of give up the real reason the real motivating reason, because we're kind mm -hmm. of maybe afraid of that. Yeah, you know, I've, 
I want to look good naked. I want to look good with somebody else, you know, or I am desperately single and I think this will help me. We don't always (laughs) want to just completely come out and say that, but being able to sort of probe and be able to sort of drive through that strategically. But on that though, I do want to ask, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, taking that idea and then saying like, why is that important? Are there other sort of little mini cues or questions that you would ask or you would sort of lead with down that path? It's always coming back to, so if that's what they've mentioned, it's more about, so what is important about that? Because mm-hmm. they've said that for a reason. So what's important about um, having a fit body for the summer? Okay, so you look good in clothing. What's important about that? So you, the, mm-hmm. I suppose I've just been trained never to ask why. Like why is your absolute end question really? Um, so it, it, probes could be what is important about that or why do you, or it could even be you could project onto other people. So, mm. what, you know, why do you think society is like that? What do you, where do you think that comes from? That's interesting. Tell me more about that. So there's lots of those kind of, those kinds of things. So that's mm. interesting. Tell me about that. Um, yeah, those kinds of, I suppose, probes I, I use to try and get a little bit more. Also just silence. So if someone's talking and they're, if you're just silent, just gives them some space. And 10 seconds would be like a long time silent, mm. but often then they'll start talking again. So um, don't be afraid of silence, I suppose, when you're kind of interviewing or trying to understand someone because they will fill the gap. You don't need to sometimes. I'll try not to get <laughs> <try not> to- <laughs> on silence. I was tempted to wait 10 seconds. But, uh, it's hard, I- right? <laughs> it is, it is. No, I-, I think that's important. And one thing that a previous guest mentioned and it's something that I've, I didn't really think about, but I've, I've, I've had a real benefit from is obviously I've interviewed, you know, people for the podcast and it's, it's, you know, one and a half to two hours of me asking questions and, and knowing it's going to be recorded. So wanting to not stuff up, but having that luxury to actually listen to yourself and actually be aware of how quick you jump into something. 10 seconds feels like a lot when you're in that awkward silence. So we might think we're waiting enough, but are we actually waiting enough and, and actually being able to be detached from that situation and, and listen to it? It's amazing how even myself, I thought I was, I thought I was waiting long enough. But <laughs> I was really only like three seconds, which felt like a lifetime. Yeah. One thing yep. I want to go back as well to, um, you know, as you sat down, as you sit down with people, I know from even having interviewed guests, um, sometimes they can kind of go directions, which you see is not necessarily helping to answer the question. They're kind of going on on a bit of a tangent. Um, when you're sitting with people, how do, you, how do you manage those situations when they start to go off on a tangent or they start going off in a direction that's not necessarily related to the information or question that you're trying to answer? Yeah, look, I suppose it's, just, it's about sort of... Um shutting them down in a polite way <laughs> yeah. is the best way to do it. Um, so it's, it's saying things like, well, that sounds really interesting. Perhaps we can have a talk about it at the end, but what I want to bring you back to is X, Y, Z. Um, or that's, that's a polite way to do it. Mm-hmm. Or you can say things like, well, I think you've earned your money today and time to hear from someone else. It's <laughs> <laughs> a less polite way of doing it. Just shut no. them completely down. Yeah, but no, typically it's about acknowledging the story or the story they're about to embark on, um, giving them a chance to talk to you about it at the end, but saying what I re- what was, or what's going to really help me now is if you help me understand X, Y, Z. And so because then that's how you tap into that people-pleasing nature in people if you position it as like 
give me a real hand and help me out with my job here because I really need this answer. I really need to understand this. You know, I'll get in trouble otherwise. I actually use that technique with kids quite a lot because mm. I understand the issues of, I understand the dynamic of being in trouble if they don't do something, whether it's from a teacher or a parent. So I use that with kids to say, look, I'm going to get in real trouble if we can't focus and talk about this thing uh, a little bit more. So, mm. um, yeah, so I either plead to help me out or I'll say, that's really interesting. Let's talk about that at the end. I want to come back to this over here. Mm. It's really interesting you say that because I, I recently interviewed a, a police officer and that obviously having the challenge with, with, a, with a, a victim, not so much. It's, there's still a level of, but they're more sort of innately wanting to, to, to help. But if you're sitting down with a persons of interest, I think is the technically the correct term and really trying to, again, adopt that idea that look, this is just my job or I'm going to get in trouble if I don't ask these questions or sort of let me help you kind of thing. But trying to sort of align that, I think it's, it's so interesting. You sort of talk about that within obviously a, a far less serious environment, but that idea coming up again. Um, but one thing I want to, yeah, uh, yeah, I want to ask as well too, is I suppose looking back on your career, I want to kind of open this up because again, you're essentially a professional question asker. Are there other sort of tips or tricks or techniques and whatnot that you, you found to be really, really beneficial or um, helpful in terms of uh, you know, helping you to, to do your job? Um, it's almost like before you start into a, into, into meeting someone or a group of people is to just wipe your thoughts away. Mm-hmm. Um, and go in with the, the mindset of I really want to understand this person's point of view and, and where they're coming from. Um, I suppose it's, it's, it makes you less judgmental as a person because some of the people who you meet visually for the first time, you think, wow, they seem like they've got it all together, for instance. Mm-hmm. And then you talk to them and you think, wow, they really don't or wow, they've had a really tough life. So I think removing your prejudices, I think removing your thoughts, removing anything that's gone on in your day and your emotional state, kind of, you know, mute all that and going with what I call like a childlike mind with that super inquisitive mind to, and not to assume therefore. So going with a complete blank slate about that other person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the important things. Do you have any tools or techniques or, or tricks that maybe you use or cues that you, you'd use to sort of to um, uh, to sort of connect to that behavior or maybe things you recommend to other people that they can use as again tricks or cues to sort of to create that state in their mind Ooh, that's a good question I'm not sure if I if I if I have something that I go through so consciously before I do that um, and possibly it's because I'm a naturally curious person. So often, you know, going to people's homes or speaking to them via webcam, like I'm looking at the, the background there and kind of <laughs> Environment. drawing conclusions about you, Dustin. <laughs> so, um, no, but I, 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 what do I go? I don't think I go through any kind of um, processes myself necessarily. I suppose I just, because of being a commercial researcher, there's always an, um, you've always got an objective or an imperative. So I suppose making sure you really bed down 
you know, maybe it's two or three key things that you need out of an hour with someone. So it's really intimately knowing them in your mind. So you're not relying on notes in front of you or anything as a crutch. So you just intimately understand what you need to get out of the conversation. So you can let it kind of run free a little bit uh, rather than being really militantly stuck to a series and an order of questions. So yeah, my advice to, to people to kind of is, is clear your mind as much as possible, but just keep those three key things that you're interested in, in understanding. And I think that therefore you can always come back to them in whichever way you see fit uh, would be, would be my advice. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. One thing, one thing I will kind of share in terms of my, my strategy for what's worth, because I think it's very similar to yours is like I, like we spoke about before, just prior to recording, I usually type up the questions beforehand and I usually, I frequently follow up or send that to, to my guests, but it's usually with an apology that I apologize if this is incoherent dribble, because it's me really trying to understand in my mind what I want to kind of ask and some of the themes I want to explore. Yeah. Um, so that to me is really, really important. And, and I do that all the time, even no matter what conversation I try to think about in my mind, what do I need to achieve out of this for me to sort of walk away and go, yeah, cool. Uh, that was a tick or I've sort of moved the needle, whatever that might be. And, and being open, I don't always achieve that. Sometimes I, I know I've gone into conversations going, I need to achieve this, but through the journey, you might realize that that objective isn't actually the proper objective and then might help you kind of rein back in. But one thing I've tried to do is, well, naturally curious is something I would, I, I would certainly, um, uh, also kind of uh, listen to myself or, or kind of phrase myself, I have to admit as well, I'm also really bad for being a little bit too driven. I'm not tremendously patient myself. So sometimes I find that I can go, I've got my answer, let's move on kind of thing. And that childlike state is kind of removed. So I, I try to do like a mindfulness practice beforehand. I find that kind of actually forces me to kind of like calm down and kind of just like kind of put the brakes on and the momentum of the day and kind of put the brakes on and then kind of go again. So anyway. Um, nice. I suppose now I want to kind of shift gears a little bit because you obviously, like I said, you're a qualitative researcher, but you're also an entrepreneur co-founder of Quali. I'm really curious as a qualitative researcher by trade, what was the process that you went about, you thought about in your mind as you thought about starting Quali? And I mean, to kind of a bit more on that, I mean, the Y2 podcast is really in its crux trying to find out what made people sort of jump the chasm from where they are to more of where they want to be. And it's, it's a really interesting, but also a really challenging exercise to, to, to really go through and understand what you really want and why you want it. So I'm curious from your sort of analytical mind, what was your sort of internal process or your questions you maybe asked yourself as you, as, as you looked at maybe I said, jumping the gap and, and starting, starting quality. Yeah, look, it, it probably built momentum over a few years, really. Um, like, I love research, clearly. <laughs> I love qualitative research. And I got to a point, I suppose, in my career where I thought, I really love this. I've worked in it for a long time. I can see some of the, the issues of it. And actually, historically, nothing really has changed about the methodology for 70 years. Mm -hmm. And so... The questions I sort of asked myself was, well, how can I take something that I love and make it better and make it better for what businesses need today, which is things quicker and things on tighter budgets, but no less rich. When, when we talk about quality research, we often talk about richness because you really understand, you know, it's, it's the depth or the thickness of the data as opposed to the breadth or the bigness of it, if you like. 
so I suppose the fundamental questions were, how can I take what I do um, now that I love so much, but make it better? Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I suppose apply all of the things we've talked about in this podcast and other things that I've learned over the years. How do I apply all those same tricks and techniques and, um, you know, building rapport skills and guided visualizations and all those sorts of things and, and turn it into a more efficient process, but no less human. That mm-hmm. was really critical. So it was, yeah, how do we take something that is really, that I think is really beautiful and really interesting, but, but give, give it the efficiencies, well, use efficiencies of the 21st century to kind of bring it up to speed a little bit. So, yeah, that, that, that was the beginning part of the process. So there was lots of tests, I suppose, early on with uh, Rob, who's um, one of my other co-founders and also a researcher, was to say, can we still get the quality or the level of insight and understanding and emotional richness out of um, people if we're not physically there. So mm-hmm. I'm not in your lounge room, you know, sitting mm-hmm. next to you, having a chat and a cup of tea, but can I get that? Can we create that intimacy and that level of respect and rapport um, through online means? So, you know, we didn't unleash the MVP before we were, confident that we could get the quality out of the process that we had produced essentially we were the toughest audience to start with really (laughs) (laughs) was it you mentioned that it was uh over a course of a couple years was was it then um was it just that you sort of held those questions and you weren't you were kind of just constantly seeking for the answers for that or was it a deliberate like you and your co-founder maybe you sat down and had that deliberate like I'm going to ask myself this question and try to answer it now what was that sort of how did those questions sort of come about yeah like in fairness I went very broad and I'd probably had conversations with Rob you know stretching back five or six years because we had worked together more than 10 years ago so we had you know a friendly relationship and so catching up with him and talking about what am I doing with my career and this was years ago um and, and starting to feel that sense of, is this it? Is this all I'm going to be doing? Is this the end of this methodology for me? And that's what I sail off into the sunset. That <laughs> so was probably sort of five or six years ago that I started to just to feel like it wasn't going to be enough. Like mm-hmm. this, it, I needed to do more with what I'd learned. Um, and so I went very broad a couple of years ago when I started really investigating, or probably three years ago when I started really investigating where, where to next. And, I cast the net broad. I thought maybe I should go back and be a clinical, you know, researcher or a clinical psychologist and actually take some of the, the this learning into a more, you know, um, purposeful space perhaps. Um, I was lacking a little bit of that. Is my research being used for good or bad? <laughs> um, so I went really broad. Do I go back to university? Because um, I could apply my skills there. And through, or do I take it in, in a, in a diff, completely different direction and go into strategic planning and the advertising, you know, communications world? Um, and then I found some people that worked in human-centered design and, and, and that kind of UX, CX kind of space more broadly. And I thought, hang on a minute, what they're doing is very similar to what I've been doing, <laughs> what I've been doing for years. Um, and so that's kind of where my interest started to peak a little bit. So it, it was at the same time that Rob actually came to me with the, the germ of this idea of quality to say, you know, we know this, we know there's issues with it. How about we, you know, try and crack away with it? So he actually had the original original idea. Uh, and in parallel to the early stages of building quality, I did kind of moonlight in the UX space as a mm-hmm. UX researcher, essentially. So I got a good feel for that industry. And, you know, if I wasn't doing quality, that could be the industry where I would be today because there's so much 
overlap and parallel with just call different things, mm-hmm. but we do the same techniques and the same sorts of, you know, the same sorts of inquisitive minds kind of work in that space. So, yeah, I suppose it took a few years for me to cast that net wide. And then it was kind of just fortuitous timing a little bit that the design industry in Australia was starting to kind of get some momentum. So it kind of pinged onto my radar. And also Rob came to me with this sort of the beginnings of this quali, crazy quali adventure. Um, and so... <laughs> Two and a half years later, I'm, I've kind of wound up my consultancy work and full steam ahead on quality. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic story, and I mean, uh, I've heard I've had the opportunity to hear you speak a bit about uh, quality in a few of our conversations. And like I said, it's uh, I, I know there's a, I know there's a lot there, and I absolutely want to have you on the podcast to to really dive into those moments because even as you talk about the you know casting the net wide kind of thing, I think I think that's a really important process that you went through in terms of just going, okay, is this it? Questioning where you are putting the net out there, obviously probably having some hypothesis, you want to start to test potential answers, testing that, getting some feedback and that process has sort of led you here. But I suppose on that, my, my final, my last question for today, just to sort of wrap it up, but kind of taking a step back from all we've talked about today, do you have uh, one favorite question or, or one technique that you, uh, you love to use or you find you use disproportionate in terms of your time? It's a, it's an oldie but a goodie, but I can't. So I love personifications. I love them. So, um, and whether that's about a category. So the last one we did was around uh, women who had varying degrees of affinity to drinking beer. Mm. Um, And we asked them to bring to life the typical beer drinking woman. And it's so evocative what comes out of these kind of conversations. And then we also get them to usually match it with an image. So go online and find an image of this person you've just described. And often the imagery is far more powerful than what they say. They really just let rip on that. So that's that's probably a conversation for another time. Um, So, yeah, personification, although it's an oldie but a goodie, it's sort of if this brand or this category was going to be a person, what would they be like? And I find... Because humans are really good, unfortunately, at judging other humans. And so, therefore, they're very good at personifying brands in, in a human kind of way. So, I often, I often I enjoy them the most because they're so evocative and they're so rich with what I can get out of it the other end. That would probably be, yeah, my favourite. <laughs> Fantastic. Ainsley, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sharing all of your well, insights today. Just for people listening, where can they uh, get in contact with yourself and, and stay up to date with both your journey, but also Quali's journey? Uh, so you can find me at quali.com um, and on that, the about well, the team page is probably a link to my LinkedIn profile. So people are happy to ping me there. No problem. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Ainsley, thanks so much again for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, for everybody listening, make sure you stay tuned because there will be uh, an Ainsley uh, quality story coming soon. So uh, stay tuned. But Ainsley, thanks again for your time. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. We'll chat again soon. Sounds good. Hey everyone, thank you so much again for listening to today's episode. Just remember, if you want to join in on the conversation, make sure you jump over to the social media handles. You're going to find us at Better Questions, Better Life on Facebook, Instagram, BQBL underscore on the Twitter. Of course, you can make sure you jump into the hashtag BQBL. Of course, you can check out our website at betterquestionsbetterlife.co. And I obviously, I want to take a quick minute again and thank our sponsor, YZ. Make sure you get started with your own 14-day free trial at yz.com. That's W-Y-Z-E-D.com. With that being said, 
I'll speak to you next time.